You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Somebody complimented me the other day on uh-huh. uh, on our day. <laughs> shocking as that may be, but it, it actually wasn't me. They were complimenting. They were complimenting uh, my dog. They're like, oh, your dog's so well behaved. I, I had taken the dog to the airport. You're right. That is a compliment of you. Yeah. Well, the 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 interesting thing is, so they had complimented the dog. Your dog's so well behaved. I was like, oh, you know, people always compliment my dogs. I always have good dog. Do you ever notice that people who have terrible dogs, like the dogs are just not well behaved, always have terrible dogs? It's not just that dog they have. It's, it's all of the all dogs of they've the dogs ever had. They've ever had are always terrible. Yes, it's it's consistent. And when I say terrible, I'm not saying this dog. The dog's not, not terrible. I'm not saying the dog is not worthy of love. I'm saying the dog is perhaps not socialized properly. The dog jumps mm-hmm. on you. The dog will lick your face. The dog will bark randomly. The dog knock things off the table. Your dog never does any of those things. Nope. Ever. None of our dogs have. Ever. 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 Yeah. yeah. You you have like trained dogs to do things that I've not seen other people train their dogs to. Other than like professional dog trainers, like mm-hmm. you had dogs who would only stay in certain rooms of the house, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there was not a fence. Yeah, they weren't physically there restricted. Yeah, they there were was trained. not a cage or anything. They just knew they couldn't walk past the threshold of that room, right? And they would honor it. They would never. They would never violate it. Right. You had dogs like ring bells to go outside. Sure. Instead of scratch the door, or bark. Right. Or just get really hyper and come buggy. They would just ring the bell politely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they little out. little uh, little. Dinner bell right by the, or a little, oh, for yeah. service bell right by the door, well, they go always, ring the bell. You've always had very well-behaved dogs. Well, what do you think it is about people who don't have good dogs that makes all of their dogs misbehave dogs? Well, on one hand, I think it's the discipline uh, of of training the dog. You spend a lot of time, energy, and money to m- create well-behaved dogs. And and that's, that's not, you can't just hope that your dog, be well behaved. You have to spend a lot of time with it. You ever right? go to those people's houses? It's just but, chaotic. Yeah, no. They, they, I, that's the other thing is I think the a lot of when I go visit people's houses and their dog is jumping on me and barking and knocking things off the table and getting on counters and hopping on the sofa um, and generally in the way. Their whole house is that. Energy. Well, it's an it's an energy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's you know you go to a go to a go to their house with the poorly behaved dog it's usually a messy house it's usually a loud house the person who is owns the dog is usually not a calm person you don't notice i will say there's one caveat and that's your mom those, those dogs she had always bark all yeah the that, time. that's the exception that proves she it was like the most calm person yes other than that most of the time i see a loud noisy chaotic dog I see a loud, noisy, chaotic person. It's like, well, if I live in a house that is messy, I'm going to be more stressed. Well, so would my dog, right? If I live in a house that's noisy and I've got the radio and the TV playing all the time, I'm going to be more stressed. So yeah, my my pet's going to be more stressed too. If the people in my house are loud and noisy and chaotic and they don't have their life together, it's going to stress me out. Well, mm-hmm. that's the case with my dog, right? If I live alone with my dog and I'm stressful as a person, right. well, how is that? That's going to rub off on my dog. 
same thing is true. If my dog is a stressful dog, it's going to rub off on me. So I think that like creating calm environments and creating ways to be calm are helpful for us, but they're helpful for our pets. They're helpful for our spouses. They're helpful for our children too. Today, we're talking to someone who is an expert on being calm. And oh my gosh, I mean, from the first time we sat down and talked with him, I could tell this guy is not joking. He is a real calm Oh, he's super fella. Chris Bailey was on the podcast today. He's an author and lecturer who explores the science behind living a deeper, more intentional life. He's the international best-selling author of How to Calm Your Mind, Hyperfocus, and The Productivity Project. He's also the author of the Audible original, How to Train Your Mind. Alongside his wife, he's the host of the podcast, Time and Attention. He writes a weekly column on his website at chrisbailey.com. He speaks to organizations around the globe on how they can become more productive without hating the process. His latest TED Talk, How to Get Your Brain to Focus, was viewed over 13 million times. He's garnered coverage in media as diverse as New York Times, Wall Street Journal, GQ, HuffPost, New York Magazine, Harvard Business Review, TED. It keeps going on. The TED Talks organization calls him the most productive man you'd ever hope to meet. We had a great time talking with Chris. We talked about how laziness isn't necessarily bad because what we lose in speed, we make up for in deliberateness. Deriving satisfaction from the good things in life. Choosing to savor the moment. How the most productive people aren't the ones who are always working to be faster. A lot of times the ones who are working to be more intentional. The 10 human values derived from uh, Shalom Schwartz and how an anxious mind decreases your ability to make stable decisions. Uh, We talk neuroscience, we talk being calm, got a little bit of business insight in there too. You're going to learn something and hopefully by the end of this episode, you're a little bit calmer as well. I'm Sanger Smith. As always, I'm with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. You know, it's a really, really great timing to have you here today, Chris. Before this recording, our computer crashed. Oh, I had a meeting that went long, so I was running late. Uh, Morgan's baby threw um, a lifetime supply of Gerber at the wall. It sounded like trash can lids into a fire truck or something. She did a great job of being calm, (laughs) is what we learned. Well, Morgan does. um, Yeah. As a group, I think. Yeah, that's why Chris Bailey's here to talk to us today, is to get us us calm. So this is really, you're really here to help solve our problems um, as a high-stress collection of individuals, at Decidedly. Perfect. It's free uh, consulting, I I suppose. Yeah, that's what this turned out to be. Yeah. So you're you're the expert on getting calm, and I want to go back to what you decided to do a few years ago you were uh you you kind of took some time off and uh kind of ran some productivity experiments and kind of got yeah. off social media and all that <laughs> walk me through that it sounds interesting it'll, it'll actually be 10 years this year since i started doing that so uh i can say now well may 1st will be a decade ago uh, i graduated from university with a few full-time job offers but I thought if there's ever a time to actually do something that I'm passionate about, that 
fed, you know, my curiosities, it was then. So I declined the jobs, which was a decision that made zero sense to basically everybody in my family. <laughs> my my now wife kind of understood it at the time. She was the one that supported me through it. And I, I explored my weird passion of productivity. So some people have normal interests, but mine has always been this, this <clears throat> getting more done with what limited time we have each and every day. Because A, you know, we only have so much time, so why not make better use of it? But B, uh, I'm incredibly lazy. And so I want to <laughs> optimize the time that I do have. And so that passion has turned into uh, books on productivity. It's turned into uh, following other passions about subjects that are tangentially related to productivity, like meditation, like calm, uh, like how we can focus and manage our attention. And so it, it's uh, it's been this fun journey that, that will be uh, on 10 years this year of just, you know, pulling on threads, uh, chasing curiosities and uh, discovering the places that I end up in doing so. You know, it's uh, it's interesting that a self-described lazy person would decide to uh, focus their uh, career on productivity. Is <laughs> laziness is the mother of invention? Or is- well, here's the thing, Chris. I I I heard or read something about how you you identify yourself. Like in your Instagram bio, I think it says you're very curious, very lazy. Yeah. It's like at first I was like, oh come on, dude, you've written books and you you're doing all this productivity research. And then I thought, man, I'm lazy too, and I do a lot. <laughs> like I yeah. have you have to you, it's like you're fighting that laziness. At least that's what I'm doing. I'm fighting that laziness so hard <laughs> because I know it's a flaw that I have that it makes me productive. How are you fighting the laziness? By by beating myself up over it, I guess. I don't know. Getting really stressed and not calm at all and doing the opposite of Chris. I, I, no, not the, it's, um, I think you can be lazy and still make progress in the moment, you know, because it doesn't matter how slowly you work often if you work in the right direction. And, you know, we waste so much time every day and we leave so much attention on the table often too. Um, you know, when we get distracted or interrupted uh, when we're working on a task, it takes us an average of 20, 25 minutes uh, to get back on track afterward, to get aligned to the original thing that we were working on. So if we're working half as slow, we're moseying on, we're making slow and steady progress, but but um, steady progress and not really getting off track, I, I think we become more productive through that laziness, not to mention we what we often lose in speed you know there's there's a limit to this stuff of course right if you work in slow motion good luck uh, having a job after much of a period of time uh, but you know what often what we lose in speed we make up for in deliberateness and this is especially the case with knowledge work you know when when i'm writing a book my my trick to writing a book is to write very very slow uh, because if i write fast uh, my my uh, my body will be over my kind of heels and then I might start tumbling downhill. Uh, but if, uh, if there's kind of that, that deliberateness to our pacing and that deliberateness takes, um, into account our natural tendencies to want to take our time with things, I think there's, there's a remarkable, um, calm to that there, but there's also a lot of productivity if that's something that you value. So we're able to make steady progress because we make sure we're going in one direction. 
if that makes sense. It makes it makes a lot of sense. The practice of meditation is in some ways um, being as deliberate as you can about everything you're doing, right? Being as deliberate as you can about how your body is positioned, about your thoughts, yeah. uh, about your breathing. So being very deliberate, it makes sense that that would be calm um, or, or focus sense of calm. Yeah. And you actually enjoy things more too. When you're deliberate or when you're calm? When you're deliberate. Yeah. Because you you are slow enough to appreciate them. You know, there's so many moments of our life that we just rush past. And, you know, I look, uh, so we mentioned Calm. The, the latest book is on Calm. Uh, for, first and only plug of the episode. I'll, I'll it won't be the only things. one. That's okay. <laughs> no, I, I, hate get, I hate getting all self-promotional. Um, but it's, uh, we, we so often rush past the most beautiful moments of our life because there's so much on our mind or we're moving too fast to appreciate them in the first place. And w- one of the one of the interesting fields that I encountered in, in writing this book is the science of savoring. Uh, and so there's actually a process. The savoring is the name for the process where we convert positive experiences into positive emotions. And so just because you experience something incredible does not mean you'll derive any satisfaction from it whatsoever. You know, think about uh, you know, we were out for dinner the other night and across the, the way from my wife and I, the couple there was just, were taking pictures, they were posing on Instagram, they were doing all this stuff. I don't know if they really tasted their food, <laughs> but when you slow down enough to actually uh, do this positive rumination on the present moment, uh, we can derive more satisfaction from everyday experiences and that's what savoring is about. So it's about productivity. You know, of course, that's, you know, what I'm curious about. That's my background. But it's also about actually deriving more enjoyment out of life. You know, we, we slow down enough to appreciate the positive things in our life. We anticipate them. We reminisce about them. We uh, marvel at them. We luxuriate in them. All of these are styles of this idea called savoring. Um, and, you know, moving fast is not conducive often to a good life in a lot of different ways. So so how is savoring different from just sort of being present and aware and, and taking in the experience that you're having? Yeah, it's all about that positive rumination. And so we're, we're really soaking in the, the good parts about something. So, you know, if you're eating a, a burger, your entire attention is devoted to the positive aspects of that experience, which is different from mindfulness, which is usually looking at a moment with, you know, without judgment, right? Without trying to label things in a certain way. The interesting thing about savoring too is the wealthier somebody is, the less likely they are to savor their lives. So wealthier people report a diminished ability to actually enjoy themselves. Why do you suppose that is? It's because we have these, not to nerd out too much, but I feel this is a safe space for this. Um, (laughs) We we have these two opposing networks of our mind. We have uh, an acquisition mentality, right? And all the networks in our brain that that support it. Uh, And then we have a here and now network, which we activate when we're present in a fun conversation, uh, when we're 
savoring something and immersing ourselves in a positive thing completely uh, when we're in a state of flow, right? Where we look up at the clock and two hours have gone by, it feels like 15 minutes, but we're so immersed in the work or conversation or whatever that time seems to not exist at all. That's the here and now network. That's the productive network. That's the focus network. That's the network that leads us to appreciate things. But when we seek to acquire more of something, that activates a network that is opposed to the here and now network. Uh, and so this is more money, more productivity, more problems, all these different things. Uh, and the more we seek more of what we have, the more we're pulled out of the here and now, in other words. And so it's this fascinating thing uh, where, ironically, the more that we uh, strive for more and the more productive often that we want to become, that can work against how focused and present we are. And so it's all about striking a, this deliberate balance between striving and savoring, where we strive enough to make progress and uh, be able to provide and live the life that we intend to live, but we also savor it. So we uh, essentially, you know, take out dividends from our life and, and enjoy those and spend those and uh, enjoy the fruits of all that we've accomplished. But it's interesting, uh, and that's that's my theory, that's my hypothesis, um, which I think would bear out in the research, though I haven't seen a study in this regard, that wealthier people are more likely to have that acquisition mentality. Well, that's that's how they got there, right? So, yeah, yeah. So it would make sense. I, I think that whole. I think that's really true. When we look at where we are in, in growth aspects, there's a lot of value, I believe, in looking back, looking at the gains that you've made, and and having a sense of appreciation for where you are and what you've accomplished. And the, and the more we focus on the, the struggles to come, I, I think it creates a negative emotional environment for ourselves that make yeah. it harder for us to activate the energy to, to make those positive changes in our life that we need to. So yeah. I, I think you're, and I think you're right on target. I, I have difficulty finding substantive uh, examples or, you know, or research rather that, that bears that out other than, getting into a state of flow where you're moving from uh let's say positive stress that gives you energy into yeah. distress right <laughs> which yeah, times yeah. would give you negative energy to move forward but you know finding that that right balance is is interesting and and maybe you've landed on something in terms of of having that savory uh savoring experience and and appreciating where you are can can be that middle ground that gives you that that uh, that I, right position to, to move. I see it all the time with wealthy people um, that we work for. Is there's there's this theme in our culture um, is you you've got to do more, you've got to get more, you've got to grow your business. If you're not growing your business, if you're not growing a business, you're dying. Right? That's yeah, that's yeah. the common phrase. Okay, it, you know, in in a way that that's true. I think what would be more accurate is to say if you're not improving, you're dying. It, it and that gets misinterpreted as you've got to increase your top line revenue every year. Well, that's not necessarily true. But if you're not improving in life, you're dying, right? If I'm not improving my physical health, my physical health is deteriorating. It's not staying the same. If not, if I'm not building muscle, I'm probably losing muscle. 
if I'm not getting in better shape, I'm getting in worse shape. I'm not just staying. If I'm yeah. not getting more knowledgeable, if I'm not reading more, then I'm getting dumber. <laughs> After the age of 26, our um, our cognitive ability declines consistently throughout life. So the best thing that we can do is stave that off. I think after age 30, our ability to in, in you know build muscle mass decreases every year throughout the rest of our life. Our bone density decreases every year throughout the rest of our life. So in some way we're we're dying physically and we all know we're perpetually falling towards death. We're dying if we're not improving, we're dying. And if we're not attempting to improve, then we're definitely not staying the same. So when you're talking about wealthy people who don't savor the moment, yeah, like there's this mindset that I see all the time of, oh, I got to get more money, got to earn more money, got to grow my business. But there's not a understanding in the minds of most people of the purpose of doing that. It it doesn't mean don't get more, don't have more, don't do more. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do those things, Um, but you have to know why you're doing it. Why am I pursuing more wealth? Why am I pursuing higher income? Why am I pursuing revenue increase in my business? And if you don't have a clear, noble aim, then you're doing it for the sake of doing it, right? Which is not going to allow you to save her. Yeah. And that's exactly it. I, I call this the mindset of more, where we have this generalized striving for more of whatever it is that we have. And money seems to be the one that, you know, most of us tend to focus on. As if that's the only currency of life. Yeah. You know, as if there's other currencies, all, all those other ones don't matter. You know, how happy we are, how deep our relationships are, how much meaning we find in everyday experiences, how much we enjoy our day. All of that gets put to the wayside because we focus on this relentless pursuit of this generalized striving for more of, or of whatever we have. And actually one of my favorite things to ask the, the wealthier people I know, and this is a fun experiment. If you know some, some wealthy people, uh, ask them, what, what do you savor the most in, in your life? Uh, because, and you think you got all this money, you would hope you enjoy something. You would hope you, you enjoy it. Right. Uh, but it is, you know, you see the, the look on their face and they're stumped. They're, <laughs> they're absolutely stumped. They can't think of anything, but then you ask, uh, you know, a relative who's less well off and you ask them, what what do you savor in your life and uh, what do you enjoy? And they'll rhyme off 30 things. So I love, you know, going to the coffee shop every Saturday with with the boys. And I love, uh, you know, the hockey, the the hockey game was great last night. And, you know, you, you hear all these examples and you think, okay, which situation would I rather be in? Uh, but I, I don't think I don't think it's it's necessary to kind of trade, uh, you know, in your money for happiness. I, I think there are ways of definitely uh, getting uh, everything we want. Um, we just need to be intentional about it. There's and, and that's what it keeps coming back to. Um, everything in my work always comes back to intentionality. Uh, the productivity stuff. The calm stuff, the meditation stuff, it's all about intentionality. And, you know, this is the lesson that I keep re- kind of repeating and relearning often, too, is you know, the, the most productive people are not the ones who work faster, 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 uh, more frantically, frantically, frantically. They're the ones who work 
deliberately and with intention. And, you know, what, what it's all for, I think it's all uh, for our values. You know, that's what the true purpose of, of this is. You know, our values that are at the core of who we are should inform what we seek. They should inform how we spend our days because if we live in a way that is congruent with what we value on that deeper fundamental level, we'll feel as though we're living true to who we are and we'll enjoy things more and things will be better. We'll be more satisfied with with our life overall. Um, And there's 10 of these, 10 fundamental human values that we all, you know, if if you kind of rank them, you, you could rank them or you could, you know, say how much of each you have out of 10 um, to kind of prioritize them accordingly. But they, those are, and I have them in front of me here, so I'm cheating, just so people know who are not watching this video, uh, I'm cheating. Um, Self-direction is number one. So that's independent thought and action. Uh, Our second value that we all have in a different amount is stimulation. So that's excitement, that's novelty, it's challenge. Uh, Number three, is hedonism. So that's pleasure for oneself. Uh, Achievement indeed is a fundamental human value. And if that is something that you have, that's good. That's okay. You know, it's uh, channel it, make the world better. Uh, So that's, you know, personal success right there. Uh, Value number five is power, right? So that's social status, prestige. Security is the next value. So that's, uh, you know, safety. It's even stability of, of society is something we value. Conformity is the next one. So restraining our actions to uh, not harm or upset or violate social expectations or norms. Tradition is another value. So that's respect, commitment, acceptance for customs. Uh, benevolence is number nine. So that's uh, enhancing the welfare of people that we're in frequent contact with and uh, 10, and definitely not least, is universalism. So that's understanding, appreciating, tolerating, and protecting the welfare of people and of nature, something we forget about because we, uh, so many of us are in these concrete jungles as, as I am today. Um, and so this is what it's all about. It's all about, I think, figuring out which of these values we hold dear to us and then finding ways of living in a way that's true to that every day. Yeah. I, I, I like breaking it down in the 10 categories. I've not heard that before. Um, sometimes I find that it's hard for people to identify what their values are. Cause it's like, well, geez, what, what do you mean? What even is a value? Right. Yeah. Um, or, or maybe they'll name things that I think are really a value. But they do. Yeah. So what, what am I going to? Or they have values they're embarrassed to name. Or they, yeah, they have values that, like, like I think the 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 hedonism category, yeah. well, it's obviously something that some people value more than others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably not one that if I gave you a blank piece of paper that anyone would. No one's, no one's picking that. Yeah, like in in my work, yeah. I help clients identify their core values, and we mm-hmm. go through a little bit different exercise to do that. I've only had one person ever put pleasure in their top five. Interesting. Where these 10, these 10 are from the the most commonly kind of researched, accepted theory of values from Shalom Schwartz. He's probably the top expert on values out there. Um, and so if he, maybe he's a hedonist. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's that one is for Shalom. <laughs> 
Well, here's the thing. There's a difference in whether it should be a value that you pursue, whether it's a fulfilling value, and whether it is one that people do place value on, right? And, yeah. and there's there's a difference between what our ideal values would be if we were living our best version of life and then what we actually act out. Because in some ways, what we believe is is evident only in the action we take, right? How do you act? How do you live through life? And you might say, I don't care about pleasure at all, but if all of your decisions are guided by what's going to provide the most comfort, then, well, you probably are at least, you're valuing you're valuing this this hedonistic lifestyle, even if mm-hmm. you think maybe you shouldn't be doing that. It's like, well, you are. Um, yeah. That's a different decision than should you. Um, the tricky part about any identifying core values period is in my head is one, how do you, how do you get, how do you know that the values that you identify are truly the ones that you want to pursue? Right. Because uh, that can be influenced so significantly by other people's values who are close to you. Right. If you grow up uh, like I did by (laughs) somebody who values achievement, how much of my yeah. own value of achievement is my own versus influenced by my dad? Well, in some way, yeah. it's like it doesn't really matter because it's it's ingrained in me. Um, it, but then in some ways, you know, I want to make sure I'm authentically pursuing it. The other yeah. side of that is there are, in my opinion, there are definitely values in that tin that are better than others, right? Some people would say, no, no values are right or wrong. They're all just, it's all just what you want. And and nobody can tell you that to pursue one value over another is is in any way wrong or right. I don't know, man. I mean, if you said the only value I'm ever going to pursue is power, well, we would all know that that's a terrible way to live, right? Mm. Um, there are others that if you said that's the only one that I'm going to pursue, it still might not be a great life, but it's going to be a better life than only pursuing power. If you only pursued that's, achievement, yeah. I would say that that's better than only pursuing power. At least it's not as, you know, I don't know. It's less likely to negatively impact other people. That that's an interesting uh, kind of frame. It, 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 yeah, because you you kind of run through the exercise and you you think, okay, imagine every single person in the world valued power. You know, what would the world look like uh, compared to if everybody valued universalism? Right. Imagine, and this is kind of an imagine all the people kind of situation. Yeah. Uh, where you know, imagine <laughs> all John the people value uni- <laughs> yeah. universal, so which is understanding, appreciating, tolerating, and protecting people and nature. Imagine everybody valued power, and then imagine universalism. It's yeah, you, know, you know, it's it's a different situation for the collective. Uh, but the idea is these are individual values that different people differ on and, and sure. have. And actually, you know, if you look at these 10, and what what I love about this uh, Shalom Schwartz theory of value, and by the way, um, in in kind of the question or the frame for the, uh, this this conversation that you were just saying, Sanger, um, you basically summed up the, uh, the kind of meta-analysis that I was reading the other day on this. So I could tell this is something that you've, you've thought a lot about and, you know, guide other people through. Uh, but it, it's interesting. There's kind of a, you know, I, I want to say wheel, but that sounds kind of corny. There's, there's 
essentially a couple of polarities that values can differ on. And so a lot of these are opposed to one another. So for example, uh, tradition might be opposed to self-direction because one is staying with what you usually do and the other is directing yourself to do something different than what's expected of you. Uh, and so there's essentially two polarities that these values differ on. There's uh, either uh, individualistic values versus collectivistic values. And so ones that are self-focused or other-focused. So for example, power versus uni universalism would be uh, directly opposed to one another. Uh, but the other polarity is uh, conservatism versus uh, change. And so wanting things to stay the same or being comfortable with things being different if they're going to improve in some way, hopefully, and you know, by your own judgment, uh, it's an improvement. Uh, and so it's interesting how these values kind of differ, but I, I think, you know, it's kind of right that there are some values. I don't, I don't know if, if some are better, like there, there would, they would be better in, in some regards for sure. Uh, so like when you measure gr the collective world, um, you know, definitely universalism would help us all, uh, more than, uh, seeking power. But I would also say that there are some that are more addictive than others. Um, where, where they kind of fire up our, our neurochemistry and lead us to over-invest in that value because of the fact that it's self-reinforcing. Uh, and so I think of stimulation in, in this way. So novelty is a big part of stimulation. So these 10, by the way, are umbrella, uh, think of them as sort of categories yeah. that all other values exist inside of. So within stimulation is valuing novelty, for example. But novelty is an interesting uh, kind of factor here because we have a novelty bias embedded within our prefrontal cortex, the logical center of our brain, uh, by which for every new and novel thing we direct our attention at, we get rewarded with a hit of dopamine, uh, which is you know, a chemical that it's called the molecule of more. In fact, you know, we're talking about this pursuit of more. <laughs> um, dopamine is what drives it. Uh, but it also leads us to never truly feel happy. We always feel as though happiness is around the corner. I, I think uh, you're right. When you when you look at the the values that people will articulate out loud, um, a lot of times those are aspirational. Sometimes, and I'll I'll have to dig down to make sure that people are, are expressing their real core values and not sort of aspirational values. Because I, I think when you look at asserting values that are not being lived out in your in your actions in your real self yeah. there's this disharmony that's present that creates uh kind of static in your in in your mental framework and in it negatively mm -hmm. impacts how you're making decisions and so one of the reasons I, I wanted to talk to you is you know when you look at this the sort of state of calm mm -hmm. uh you know I think there's an inherent uh, obvious understanding that if I'm in a calmer state, if I'm in a less frantic state, I can make better decisions. <laughs> and yet I would suppose I can't just decide to be calm. I, I have to decide what activities to pursue that will result in a state of calmness. <laughs> um, so other than sort of obvious, you know, meditation, let's say, yeah, yeah um, yeah. What would be the things that I, I could make decisions upon 
decide to do that would result in a more calm state that would thereby allow me to make more improved decisions. Yeah. And I think that meditation point is important to say because there are so many strategies out there. You know, in in the book, I devote basically one page of the book to meditation. Um, and uh, because I, I think there's just such a wealth uh, of of complexity that leads to calm or leads away from calm. So calm and decision making, I, I think we all know on some intuitive level uh, just how much call a calm mind can help us out. So uh, you know, it, let let's say you're about to uh, give a, a huge presentation to a thousand people, and that presentation is three minutes from now. You know, you're probably you probably have the pre-talk jitters, you're probably feeling a bit anxious. And in that moment, if I asked you to make an important decision, would you do a good job of making that decision? Uh, you know, our cognitive capacity is lower when we're in a stressful situation like that. Um, an anxious mind actually shrinks how much attention we have uh, to give to the world around us. If I asked you to multiply 84 by 69 in your head, you know, how, long, how much longer would it take you right before the talk versus on an average Tuesday afternoon. It would probably take you two, three times as long. Uh, same with airplane turbulence, right? Uh, if, if you're flying along and you hit a heavy pocket of turbulence, good luck making good decisions. Yes. Good luck being able to focus on things. And so we don't really, you know, we're kind of a fish in water where we don't realize we're in water. And I think that's the, the true with our state of mind, where we don't realize we're anxious or we're calm. Uh, it's just kind of, the, the state that we're in. But you're exactly right. There are practical, tactical strategies that we can invest in immediately in order to get there. Uh, so, you know, we we're just chatting about that dopamine bias, the fact that for every new and novel thing we direct our attention at, we get rewarded with a hit of dopamine, which makes us, our mind stimulated. It makes us more anxious, in fact, um, when we're tending to uh, a distraction that's threatening at the same time. And so one, one strategy that I've come to love is to do stimulation fasts, is what I call them. Uh, and so essentially, for a period of time, you go without these empty sources of dopamine, uh, which leads you to a calmer state of mind simply because you're tending to fewer stimulating things over the course of the day. Uh, and so, you know, every single thing that we tend to all day long lives at a different height of stimulation. And depending on how much dopamine it releases, depending on how novel it is. And so at the very height, the, the, the zenith of stimulation is something like alcohol or drug use. And below that might be social media, which is pretty novel. Then maybe email below that. And you keep working your way down at the bottom is like bookkeeping. <laughs> it's accounting. It's uh, you know, all staring at a campfire. It's it's things that aren't very stimulating. And the idea, though, with the the stimulation fast, which is often called the dopamine fast, is you eliminate as many things as you possibly can from this upper band of activities, which lowers your average stimulation height. And this makes it easier to focus on everyday things because when your uh, average stimulation height is lower it becomes easier to focus on things like bookkeeping, on conversations, on everyday experiences. We savor things more. We enjoy things more. We reflect on our values. We do all these 
things, then we end up being more productive to boot because we have a greater cognitive capacity that comes along with that. Uh, so one simple strategy, and I, I do one every probably four to five months or so, uh, because I, I find this strategy so beneficial and distractions always seem to pop back up. You know, that it's interesting that you talk about that dopamine fast. And, and I did not use that word, but I experienced it. That it, Starting about probably 12 years ago, I would uh, take short breaks from the work environment. And I would, I would tell my assistant, I said, I'm, I'm going dark. I'm not, I'm not checking emails. I'm not calling you. I'm not checking voicemail. I'm not logging in. I'm not bringing any work product, doing nothing. And the, the biggest one I did, I, I took 30 days off in a row and uh, hiked the Camino de Santiago in Spain. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it was just a, a beautiful experience. And what I noticed was not only was I reducing that um, sort of those dopamine hits and that stimulus that was coming in, I couldn't even watch TV at night because it was all Spanish and I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> so <laughs> I would just, I would just relax. And after about um, probably a week, I started realizing that I was missing that savoring experience that you were talking about. I said, you know, I'm just walking through here. I'm focused on, you know, I'm looking down at the path and I'm not savoring this beautiful countryside and the experience that I'm, that I'm walking through. And I started to become conscious of it. I started to become aware of the beauty that was around me and in, in experiencing the the villages I would go through and all those types of things. And I came back from that experience and more than a few people uh, commented to me, they said, wow, you seem different. You, uh, you don't seem to. It get... was really obvious by the way. <laughs> well, I mean, it, was, it wasn't obvious it, to me, which was interesting, but, uh, but it was night and day. It was, like How he so? was a, like we just, so my his um personal assistant and I have had a great relationship because she's worked with him for a long time and um you know there's a family dynamic to the work that she does sometimes and anyway um she and I would talk a lot about how there's two different Sean's there's Sean prior to this trip and then Sean after this trip oh wow and she noticed it. And I noticed it and everybody else noticed it. Um, and I think she had a lot of, like, I had thanked, have thanked her many times for how she helped you find that mindfulness because, you know, if she wasn't doing that great work that she was doing, maybe you wouldn't have, you don't have someone you could trust, you might right. not have gone. Right. Um, and right. so I've told her that many times. Like, it was, it was, a, yeah. it was like, yeah, like a totally different person. Well, it, it was my first experience at sort of getting to that calm state uh, and going through and removing those uh, external influences and getting to a point of, and I didn't know the word then to use, but but savoring that experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it created a lot of clarity, uh, for me at least, in how I thought about uh, both smaller and larger decisions that, that I needed to make. Yeah, and we gravitate towards stimulation, though. And, and this is the problem. This is what makes this an uphill battle is the stimulation is self-reinforcing because of that dopaminergic aspect of it. So we 
you know, we we see this and how we use our phone, for example. So we'll pick up our phone and then we'll check maybe Instagram and get a hit of dopamine, assuming we encounter something novel, which of course we always do. Um, and then after tending to Instagram, maybe a minute after that, we check the news and encounter something else novel. And then maybe a minute after that, we bounce in the next application in our list in the stable of apps. And, you know, we have these tendencies of of seeking out stimulation throughout the day, uh, but we have to recognize, A, that they're unproductive, B, that they're overstimulating our mind, making us uh, less able to focus, to be in the here and now, to make good decisions, to see things clearly, in yeah. other words. Um, we have to recognize that fact while kind of accounting for the fact, and uh, again, this goes back to, I guess, the very start of our, our chat today, uh, self-kindness. You know, recognizing that a lot of what leads us to be hard on our mind is just a natural tendency of the mind. And so we find ourselves just ensnared in this this grip of distraction, unable to look away from devices. But when you look at the actual well, science... They're, desi- and, they're designed to not yeah. let you look away. <laughs> yeah, Everything on exactly. there once is constructed so that you don't look away. And... There's a, like a couple of decisions that I made that have made my life much more calm recently is yeah. turning off all my notifications. Oh, yes. I, I didn't eat. I didn't, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. I don't have any notifications or any apps like other than phone calls, texts, and uh, email. And it's only work email, not the, oh, and be real. I do be real. So I get I get notifications on Be Real. You what know, is Be Real? Oh, it's the best Just social quickly, media. App. I, I so be. it's like it gives you a quick, uh, it gives you a random notification throughout the day. It, you don't know what it's yeah. going to be, and you have two minutes to take a picture. It takes a picture of your front camera and your back camera of just whatever you're okay. doing. So huh. it's fun. It's like well, <laughs> our whole family does it. We always take our picture every day, and then I'll be like, Oh, huh. there's my sister. She's skiing, or Oh, there's my brother-in-law. He's at the CrossFit gym. Oh, dad's at the office or I'm getting coffee or whatever it is. Um, anyway. Mine would just be on the couch all the time. <laughs> You'll just be, yeah, you'd just be cuddled up under a blanket reading a book or right. something. Yeah, yeah. Every, every single one, it would be the most boring be real. <laughs> yeah. ever well, that's the, the, the best part about it is you can't fake it, right? I mean, yeah. you can yeah. do it late, but then you're like, oh, you did that five hours late. You're cheating. You're not being real. Anyway, yeah. it's uh, so I ha- those are the only notifications I have. There's no Instagrams, no, you know, TikTok, which I don't have, but there's no like other, there's no social media. Um, there's no all the apps, like every single app. I didn't realize that how many notifications I was getting for apps that I don't even use. And I would click the notification, be like, what's that? And I'd open this app that I don't ever use. And then I'd be distracted yeah. for even maybe only one minute. But turning off my notifications, like, yeah. I don't miss anything. And if I am late to respond to something, guess what? It's something that doesn't really matter. It's like somebody DMs yeah. me on Facebook and I'm three yeah. days late to responding to it. It's not the most urgent thing in the yeah. world. Well, so, oh, so much more calm. And then using the focus features on the phone. Oh, yeah. Especially yeah. when you, what is that? Oh my gosh, I'm going to change your life. So the, uh, particularly the new update on iPhones has several different focus modes. Oh, like I'm driving mode kind like of thing? Driving mode, okay. sleep mode, work mode, personal mode, and then uh, there's like another, I think, just focus. Um, but you can change 
what you want, like which types of notifications you want to get. So you could say, well, sleep, I don't want any notifications at all, but I do want my wife to be able to call me. Maybe. Right. And then at work, you might say, well, I want a, a broader group of people to be able to call me and I want my work emails to come through perhaps. And then driving, you might say, I don't want anybody to text me, but I do want to be able to receive calls because anyone can call me while I'm driving. That's fine. But you can customize it. Oh, that's interesting. And so I, I actually yeah. using those, oh man, it's like, I actually get work done. And then people My know, part of that. yeah, when people text yeah. you, it says, hey, Sanger doesn't have his notifications on. And so they understand. They're like, oh, well, I'm not going to get a response in 30 seconds. So there you go. I just gave you, you did. I, I, I like that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. A, a, a few weeks ago, I got rid of my smartphone. Oh, you're psychotic. <laughs> I, uh, here's what I got instead. You got a one-up uh, me, dude. I felt so good. Is that a brick? A, he did He did Nokia uh, brick? He just, he just one-upped you. I knew he would. I mean, yeah, I don't call it out. He's, he's got to. It's his brand. He's he's got to go with this flip. Hold on. What the, hell, what the hell did you just that show That wasn't me? even a flip phone. That what was, was that? No, that? That is a well, pager, Chris. I, I, had a, <laughs> I had a flip phone, but it, oh man, it was upsetting. Basically everybody in my life. Because uh, messages weren't... The, are, are you, uh, you guys are on uh, the iOS, the Apple ecosystem yeah, by the sound as I am. And uh, iMessage, it turns out if you switch to a flip phone, just uh, is not good. I was going to swear, but I won't. Uh, it's not good. It's garbage. It's hot trash. Uh, if you put your SIM card that was in your iPhone into a flip phone, all your iMessages basically disappear. You lose them. You, and, and so... I needed to switch to something else. So I'm now on this device. It's called, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Punked. It's spelled P-U-N-K-T. Punked? It's a weird. <laughs> You're being punked. Different, it doesn't different do brand. anything. Yeah, it's a joke. He's paying nine ninety five for this for a calculator. Chris, what it looks a, like. Yeah, yeah, that's a calculator, yeah. Chris. <laughs> yeah. Wait a sec. Is this a scam? Um, but essentially, uh, this is kind of my uh, out on the go device. If I won't need a phone, if I'm not traveling or something if i don't need a boarding pass on my phone or if i could print one off for example uh, what i'll do is i'll just hot swap my sim between my iphone and this thing and so if i'm in a situation where i want to not be distracted and want to use technology more intentionally and just go analog even you know i, I live wait wait wait, wait, right wait. On the... you do what with the sim card you oh you uh, just, yeah you just put it yeah you take a little paper clip you, oh, you uh, like pull it out. out of the phone, put it in the other one. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it takes like you can still get iMessages on that thing. No, no. Oh. And uh, but then you put it back in the iPhone, and then you do. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, nice little. So it's like your emergency satellite phone if you get lost in a mountain or something. Basically, and and the great thing is you can tether to it. And so if I'm out on the go and I still want to connect with people, because of course you can have iMessage on the computer on an iPad that option is still available. You can be connected, but because there's that initial hurdle to get over, uh, you have to really be thoughtful about it, about it. And it goes back to that intentionality idea where it's all about intentionality with this stuff, but often we have to work against our own wire. Was this to reduce external stimuli coming in or, or avoid that those dopamine hits or was that the, yeah. the point of it? Oh no, th this is just another experiment. 
Okay. I don't know. I don't know about the long term, man. I don't know about the long term. Just to see if you can do it. Yeah. And I feel like uh, switching to a flip phone in 2023 is kind of the, the social equivalent of moving to a commune because you realize just how much uh, of uh, uh, of your life depends on, like, I do not like modern communication. And I don't know if, if many people do or would if they really thought about it. Uh, like modern communication, especially in the digital world, it's shallower. Uh, so you don't have that depth of connection with somebody. It's more diffuse. And so we're more likely to broadcast things instead of connect with people. Uh, and we have a lot of shallow connections instead of fewer, deeper and ones. And that's getting worse. Yeah. Like yeah, with, it, with TikTok, yeah. you know, original social media was all about connection. You know, all, MySpace yeah. was yeah. your friends. Facebook was yeah. your friends. Instagram, I think, kind of started where, okay, well, you can connect with celebrities and, and, meme pages and just cool stuff that's not your friends and then tiktok it's like people don't really they're not you're not on tiktok to be with your friends you're on tiktok for the internet you're connecting with the internet on tiktok i don't see that getting better yeah i miss it i miss the way communication used to be and i think that was the impetus for this experiment is i wanted to go back but i don't i don't think it's possible to no, it's, it's it cats out of the bag at this point. I, I, yeah. So yeah. you you start as a guy who's is try you're trying some interesting experiments. What other things did you do along this journey? Other experiments that you did that e- either worked uh, great or just went down in flames. Oh, one one that I was really dreading, and so I put off doing so, but I eventually did to great uh, success. Was making myself bored. Uh, for an hour a day for a month. Uh, and so I put a call out to the readers of my website and I asked, what, what's the most boring thing you can think of doing? Uh, because I'm going to do this for a month. <laughs> and so day one, I read the iTunes terms and conditions. Uh, it, wasn't called, it wasn't called Apple Music yet. Uh, well, congratulations. You were the only one. Well, yeah, I think yeah, I'm what the only say? one. <laughs> you and some attorney well, at Apple. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah, it's like a PhD thesis. Like the only people who read it are the ones who wrote it. Um, but it's uh, uh, it's uh, it's actually more readable than you would think. And look I, at he's trying to sell us on this bullshit. I, I, I really, I, I think you should give it a try. Fun, misery loves misery loves company. Yeah, I read it. You should read it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the other uh, 30, because there's a month with 31 days, um, I, they, they were like counting the zeros in the first 10,000 digits of pi. Uh, there was like one person suggested move You don't need to rocks. count. It's, it's 10,000. It, 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 it would hopefully be 10% of of because oh, okay. of all, all the right. numbers. Oh, the I see. Random oh, the, just the zero. Right? Oh, okay. Just the zero. Yeah, just the zeros. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> uh, and... Another one was move rocks, small rocks from one place to another repeatedly on your desk. <laughs> so that was That's... that was another one, watching a clock. Um, but this was, you know, a lot of the stimulation heights came out of this experiment uh, because the first week of this experiment was hell. Uh, there was no way around it. But after that, I felt kind of a new expanse of, of focus open up and in a surprising way. 
Uh, because if I could become engaged with something that was so boring, I could become engaged with pretty much anything. And that that's the idea behind the, the whole stimulation heights thing is if you can reach a state of flow just moving rocks around on your desk, which feels like kind of a Zen poem in and of itself, um, you can become engaged and calm with pretty much anything as, as things uh, kind of change uh, around you. And so it's all about that stimulation hype from that, that experiment. That reminds me of your mom's house, like the, oh. the, the, um, the sand garden. Oh yeah. So you got a sand garden, a little bit, uh, like a chime, uh, a, a wind chime, meditation chime. There's all these the things that are like, they would be, it's boring, a very peaceful house. But it's man. like very it's purposely and designed for you to be, you know, do it. I used to think it was cool as a kid. And then the little sand garden. Oh just because it was new, right? And then eventually I was like, ah, oh, it's boring. And the lighting in there. It doesn't change right. colors. Yeah. It doesn't, like, huh? you can't, like, build things. Uh, it's boring. But every time I go to her house, it's a different design. You notice that? Mm-hmm. It's oh, always different. So she actually does it. And yeah. just even raking the little wooden rake through the sand. Right. It's not a exciting activity, but it's a peaceful it's activity. A cal- it's a calming it's activity. Calming. Yeah. yeah, she's got a lot. Of, she's very calm. You know, you were talking about the getting bored. And with with current society, yeah, we don't have a chance to get bored. I just finished a book called the uh, The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. He spoke to this fact that that in our current digital world, we we don't have that opportunity to get bored, and that that boredom actually is positive for regenerative effects in our in our mind and. Uh, the expression of creativity and those types of things. And so it's actually really important and we don't allow that to happen. So yeah. I, uh, that's interesting that you put yourself in that state. Uh, mm-hmm. My guess is that you you came out of that with with better clarity around a lot of things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that, that generative effect, that's such a good way of putting it because when we're bored, we, we make our own novelty. You know, these days, of course, novelty is kind of fed to us through algorithms. Uh, but we used to construct our own. You know, when we were a kid and uh, we were bored, assuming we didn't grow up alongside the internet, we'd make a, a blanket for it out of the kitchen chairs and, you know, a blanket from the, the closet. Uh, we would make these like gross concoctions in the kitchen that were just like, at least I did, these recipes of flour and ketchup and just all kinds of stuff uh-huh. my parents pretended to eat. Like th- this, we used to construct our own novelty and then we became adults and we'd play the piano, we'd read books, we'd write uh, poetry, we, we'd write stories, we would create. Um, and that's, it, it's kind of a story of how our relationship with novelty has changed over time, where we used to generate our own and find our own, but now it's generated for us by other people and it's fed to us uh, by an algorithm. And so it's, it, it's not as nice as it used to be, but there are ways of, of getting that same effect where we still generate our own novelty, especially when we lower that stimulation height in the first place. And you, you don't even need to buy a, a flip phone. <laughs> Thanks for being here today, Chris. This was awesome. Thank you. I feel calmer just watching you speak. Oh, he's, he's such a calm. He's a calm guy. He's got really? his sweater on. He's it's very calm background. Yeah. He's uh, yeah. 
Yeah. My and painting's knocked over and my cat's toys. Okay, there, don't though. ruin the illusion for us. <laughs> <laughs> Only you know that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, yeah, Chris, Chris this, was, this was really interesting. I, I really appreciate talking with you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Yeah. Where can people find your work, Chris? Oh, yeah. So my podcast that I do with my wife, who's smarter than I am, is called Time and Attention. Uh, we, uh, we, put an episode out every couple of weeks. My uh, latest book is called How to Calm Your Mind. It is, I think, the best thing I've ever written. Uh, my productivity books are called Hyper Focus and The Productivity Project, which is about that initial year-long experiment. Hyper Focus is all about the, the science of managing our attention, which is in so demand right now. My website is uh, chrisbailey.com, where you can find all that stuff. Yeah, thank you for having me. You know, one of the things I noticed about our discussion with Chris is how authentic a lot of the people that we've had on the podcast are in their true self. And we, I remember when we were talking with Sarah Knight a few episodes ago, which had written the book, you know, How to Not Give a Flip, right, basically. And, and her, her, her whole demeanor was... Why'd you say that? I, <laughs> what are you, I, a Sunday school? I'm teacher? trying to soften it. Because we're not on that episode. So the way okay. she conducted her life of just sort of leaving New York and like, I'm just going to move to the beach and I don't care. And just, you know, she's very off, true to that is talking with Chris was that same experience in terms of the way that he just conducted himself. It was it was actually very calming to talk with him. You know, yeah. just being around him was really calm. So my takeaway was about that difference between the acquisition mentality and the here and now mentality. And in that here and now mentality, savoring what you're experiencing and that thought process, even as I think about doing that, it's calming. Just thinking about having that mentality is actually physically calming to me right now as I, as I say it. So that was a uh, an, an interesting point, and that was that was my takeaway from our discussion. Also, I'm going to use the word uh, dopaminergic with the uh, I don't whatever think he that said was what he said. Whatever, whatever he said whatever he, <laughs> whatever, what? whatever the hell word he he said I'm going to go back and listen to it again and yeah, I'm okay. going to use it in sentences. Make sure you, uh, yeah, yeah, make sure you listen to it again. Yeah, yeah, I think Before I will. I think I, there and I, it. I think I mangled the word but that's, a little bit. Yeah, that's what I'm going to use. I don't know what it is. It wasn't you just that. know that what I said wasn't it. You said was like Russian. Yeah. Um, okay. My takeaway was a comment that he made in passing about how to create dope those dopamine hits. We are seeking novelty, but when we were children, we created our own novelty. Like I've heard before. Yeah, when we were kids, we didn't we didn't go to the internet to entertain ourselves. Yeah. Well, it's it wasn't about, it's not only about entertaining yourself. It's about creating novelty so how can i create novelty in my life um while still protecting the things that are important right you can't throw everything out every six months you know right. i'm not gonna upend my life for the sake of creating novelty but i can create new moments and that might be as simple as i always walk the same route in the morning i'm gonna go the other way it can be that easy so they don't have to be big things it can be building the pillow fort you know it can be um changing up something that's really simple that we do on a routine basis. So I always have my coffee in the kitchen. I'm going to have it on the back patio today. 
whatever it is, but creating novelty, if I can reframe in my mind what I'm really seeking to do to create those dopamine hits, which is to create novelty without the cheap use of technology, um, I'll be better off for it and be calmer throughout the day. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.